Hi guys, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. And today we have our lovely guest, Koki Haziotis of Lasagna Technology, back with us. We've got a lot to talk about from Goldman trading cryptocurrencies to how fintech companies can be more environmentally friendly. Uh, so, Koki, how are you today? I'm good, Julie. I'm wearing makeup, and I wanted that to be on the record um, because <laughs> it has been several years since I have seen my eyebrows at full potential. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, right before we started, and when I got married in December, it was the first time I'd worn makeup in almost a year, and I was like, wow, like this is what my face can look like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, look at this upgrade. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I don't... Is makeup makeup can be environmentally friendly depending on like what kind you buy and stuff like that, right? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff about microplastics that I don't totally understand, but I know I'm not supposed to use them. And then there's some makeup that doesn't dissolve, and then there's some makeup that's like made of natural ingredients, so it's better. I don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> Why does the environment stuff has to have to be so complicated? Even when I take out my recycle, I'm like, wait, which of the two buckets does this Coke can go in? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I mean, the, the the thing I really focused on in my climate piece uh, that by the time this comes out will have just come out. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I focused on is like the desperation for an abstraction layer to simplify these like a lot of the, the climate you know, mitigation solutions. Yeah. It's just not like a marketplace that, that really works yet. Um, right. so yeah, that's, that's definitely something I've been focusing on and something I've been thinking about a lot. Right. It's something that the only area of fintech that I've really thought about the climate in before is obviously crypto, just given mm -hmm. the energy that mining a Bitcoin uses. And you talk about that in your piece a little bit as well, but it's also just there's tips for early stage founders, even later stage founders to put this in their product roadmap, their mission statement, their goals, et cetera, to make that a part of who they are. And you lay out a really good argument as to even if it might be more like time consuming or a little bit more expensive, that in the long run, it's still going to be better off for your company. Yeah, it can really make a huge difference for brand. Um, like if you can be like, hey, yeah, we actually we're very climate conscious when we build. Um, it can be a great way to engage your audience and make sure that they're like, you know, support what you do, generally speaking. Um, and I don't know, I'm really fond of that. I, I really like the idea that you, you just put it in your product roadmap and then there, there you go. Um, after I received that advice um, from the guys at, at Carbon Collective, I actually took a minute to think about what I could do with lasagna in order mm -hmm. to make it climate conscious. Um and it's now somewhat on the roadmap, which is awesome. Nice. We need to think about this for fintech today, too. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, obviously, for early stage, like, honestly, both of us, um, we're not making a huge impact on the climate. Mm -hmm. um, but the things we can do is either commit to staying remote or, you know, have the commit to not doing business travel 
Right. Uh, don't fly to see your next investor. That kind of stuff uh, can really add up, especially now that we've obviously proved out that everything can be done. Over yeah. Over I mean, Zoom. this is a super interesting thing. A year ago when this was starting, I remember talking to VCs and asking them, like, how is this going to impact? Are you going to just stop investing because you can't see people and pitch in person, and, like have this relationship with the founders face to face? And they were skeptical at first. They're like, yeah, I don't know that I can invest in a company that I've literally never met before. But obviously, since this is going on so long, they have at this point. And I think they would totally respect like, hey, I'm trying to reduce my carbon footprint. Let's do this over Zoom, just like we would have during the pandemic. Um, And, you know, next time I have multiple meetings I need to go to in San Francisco or New York or wherever, then we can meet in person then. But I don't want to fly out just for this one meeting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. This piece was so fun for me to write. First of all, I didn't know nearly enough and I got to learn so, so much. Um, and I'd like to thank everyone who was involved, who helped teach me stuff. That was really nice of you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) thanks. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely like a super interesting piece to write because it had me thinking about all sorts of things that I hadn't considered and Mm -hmm. frankly made me feel like a bit of an ass for not having considered them before. Give us some example of those. I, I guess I hadn't thought at all. I mean, I spoke with Stripe and Stripe Climate is doing really interesting work, um, creating a demand side marketplace for the purchase of carbon removal services um, and kind of adding that to their suite of products for companies. So if your company okay. chooses like click on like, hey, I want to be climate conscious with every transaction, you like add a dollar, that dollar goes to Stripe Climate's fund, which is used to invest in like climate-friendly um, products and services and technologies. So they, they're trying to be on the forefront on the investing side so that they can be on the forefront of the adapting side, which is very right. cool. Um, and then like things like Carbon Zero is coming out soon. It's a credit card that instead of rewards or points or whatever else, um, it offsets your carbon footprint. So if I buy something from Zara, theoretically, it will offset what I did. Um, either like... It'll offset shipping and it will offset, um, like, the impact of fast fashion. Right. Um, and, like, a lot of people are actually kind of critical of offsets is something I've learned, but I don't really get it. <laughs> I It's kind of nuanced where, like, offsets versus removal, obviously removal is better. Offsets mm-hmm. is, is a step in the right direction. And then not doing the thing at all was the thing that was most touted. Um, right. like, Hey, just maybe don't, I was like, Oh, I love that. That's, <laughs> I mm-hmm. love advice. That means I do less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do less, you buy less, really focus yeah. on what's important to you, your company, et cetera, versus being more wasteful, I guess would be a, a good term for it. Yeah. Speaking of buying less, feel free to cut up all of my credit cards, Julie. I've been on a <laughs> rampage. Well, I'm glad you bought me some stuff from Sephora for a wedding gift before you decided to cut up your credit card. <laughs> I just got in there right in the nick of time. You really did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the crypto angle here is one that I didn't really cover. I mean, I touched on it. I didn't really cover it, but there is a I think that's a impact. whole separate piece because there's totally. so much going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, There's so much impact from mining and mm-hmm. the servers and processing that is – really net negative on the climate. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of companies working on this. I did a little bit of research into it, but I think it will have to be a follow-up piece. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, yeah, it's just like know. I'm curious, is there a way to offset that or reduce the energy consumption that it takes to mine a Bitcoin? Um, I, like I haven't d- dove into it that much either. So that's why I'm excited that you want to dive into it because then I can just edit your piece and you do all the work for me. So. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think, our favorite relationship. Um, mm-hmm. But especially as big banks like Goldman go into trading crypto and, and adding crypto futures to their suite of products like that. Mm-hmm is something we need to be keeping an eye on. Like, yeah. Especially as I we mean, see if, all, there, if all these institutions, finance. Goldman being one of the most latest, most recent ones, um, but hedge funds are getting into this. Mutual funds are probably going to get into this. You have other types of companies getting into this. You have Square and others adding it to their treasury where they're actually putting a portion of their cash on hand into Bitcoin. I think as it just becomes more mainstream through these steps that we need to start thinking more seriously about this. Cause obviously the Bitcoin would be moving around a lot more, et cetera. And that's going to have an impact on the environment at large. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something to consider as we see these big guys getting in, but mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you think about Goldman entering the, the trading scene, as it were? I remember covering Bitcoin at Bloomberg in the 2017-2018 run-up and hearing this rumor, and they were really close to starting a trading desk for cryptocurrencies back then and then decided not to go through with it because other banks weren't going to do it either. And I'm sure other banks were also exploring it at the time. Um but this time they're they're actually going to move forward with it. And I find that super interesting because like setting up another trading desk and moving some of your employees over, hiring new employees potentially, that all takes resources. And it just is a signal that they don't see this going away anytime soon, right? Like I think it's pretty clear, especially with these um, bigger players, like I said, putting some of their cash balances into Bitcoin that this is here to stay. And I'm also sure that it's based a bit on client demand. And if their clients are wanting them to trade more Bitcoin and there's more trade requests coming through that, you know, you got to start setting something up. The next big step will just be what are they going to do for custody? Because that's a really big issue. And I don't know that there's any like Coinbase has a, a institutional product that's supposed to help with custody. Others do too. And I haven't dove into that too much yet, but I think there's a lot of room for improvement in that space. And that's going to be one of the next areas that um, the crypto community is going to focus a lot on. Yeah, I honestly, um, I want to float something here uh, that I haven't floated before, but we talk about crypto every week. Should we rebrand? Are we a crypto podcast? (laughs) This is funny because I used to hate writing about crypto because it was always just these conspiracy theorists and you got so much spam, which was sad because there was a legitimate angle to it, but the spam sort of overshadowed all of that. And it was so hard as a reporter to weed through the people that were telling you the truth versus the ones that were stretching the truth and kind of trying to lead you in the wrong direction, just hearing these random rumors, because there's a lot of rumors that are always floating around in the crypto community, more so than many other communities. Um, but I, th- it's just crazy to watch how this has all evolved since then, too. Um, there's just so much going on. And I think that's part of the reason that they haven't done as much environmentally is because they're focused on all these other things at this point too. When really like there should be a massive focus on the environmental angle here too. Cause not only is that better for our planet, but I feel like there's a lot of like potential for companies to be super successful here. Yeah, I totally agree. And just a shameless plug for my friends at the block. Uh, that is what I read when it comes to crypto news 
they are really and truly the best at it. Um, yeah, it's they're really very sad. good it's at a lot like of weeding through all of the spam that goes out there. It's very impressive. Yeah, very proud of them. You mm-hmm. go, guys. <laughs> We're just going to like, we'll support them and like do a little bit of crypto. But I, I think text time is good at focusing on broader fintech as well, such as Square's new <laughs> bank. It's finally out there. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk to me about this? I have not been paying attention. So back in, this is something that they've been working on since like 2016, I think. Um, And essentially Square does a lot of small business stuff, lending to them and everything now. And this is just going to make them um, that much more capable of truly helping a lot of small businesses, which I find exceptionally great just because Square is very good at helping like truly small businesses, unlike a lot of the bigger banks are. And you can read the press release. I included it in, um, actually, I didn't include it yesterday because it came out after our newsletter went out, but it will be in our next news newsletter. I'll include a link to it because I want to talk more about this. But 58% of loans through Square Capital, their lending arm, go to female-owned businesses versus 17% of traditional loans. And 35% of loans through Square Capital go to minority-owned businesses versus 27% of traditional loans. So they're really, you can just see the impact that they're having on these communities that need this type of help and have been underserved for so long. So the fact that Square now has this banking license that can make it like it it can get bigger now it can truly bring tech into finance even more so than it could without this industrial loan charter i'm just i'm gonna be fascinated to watch how this thing evolves over the next year how it grows um did you just include those stats to hype me up because it it worked (laughs) you're like wait i had no idea like i love squares bank now (laughs) yeah i'm now a customer i just happened right this second Mm -hmm. um no, that's that's super great, super interesting. So did you just say they have a banking charter? Yeah, and this is something like the same thing that Walmart applied for, what, like one or two decades ago, didn't end up getting. Um, and that's part of the reason that it took so long for Square to get it. They applied once, they withdrew it, and then reapplied again. They, t- I remember talking to Jackie Rhesus, um, who had a lot to do with this. She's no longer at Square. She's doing her own thing, but she used to be the head of Square Capital. So she obviously had a lot to do with this application. And just speaking of the environment, the amount of paperwork that lawyers and everyone else had mm-hmm. to read to go up with this versus just getting some sort of digital document because everybody does everything on their computer anyway. Um, like this is just a really long process with regulators. And it's part of the reason that like Square was the first one to apply and get it in a very, very long time. Yeah, Utah has interesting provisions for the charter that I wish mm-hmm. I was a little bit more adequate at explaining, but um, it does open the door for people like Square and Walmart to get a banking charter where no other yeah. charter in the U.S. does that. So I think that's really interesting and definitely something to consider. Um, for those of you who don't know, fintechs and non-financials that apply for um, – who, who want to launch financial products in the rest of the country actually partner with sponsor banks as they're known. So um, I'm pretty sure that's well known, but just to super clarify why this is different and special. Right. So an example, if you bank with SoFi, SoFi does not have a banking license. So I believe it is Stride Bank that they partner with right now. Same thing with my HM Bradley account. It actually goes through Hatch Bank. It's not at an HM Bradley bank. 
So it like quickly flows through H.M. Bradley right into Hatchbank and H.M. Bradley is sort of just like the interface that I deal with. So it looks like it's H.M. Bradley. It says H.M. Bradley on my debit card, but it's actually Hatchbank that I'm dealing with. Which is great. Um, one of the yeah. things that consumers are starting to realize is that you want your money at a, at a regulated bank because then it's protected by the FDIC up to $250,000 mm-hmm. per account. Right. Um, right. And it's and also, I mean, doing this relationship <laughs> is also good for the regional banks that were so desperate for deposits, too, because all these large banks like JP Morgan, Citi, and others are obviously getting the majority of deposits. Whereas these smaller banks, given how slow they've been on technology, they've really struggled to get deposits. So having these partnerships with the fintechs that are growing so well, really getting customer growth that needed a partner bank because they didn't want to go through the ILC process right away. Because like I said, it what took five years for Square to get mm. this and that's a massive company and I don't even want to know how much it costs for them to go through all of this with the lawyers they had to hire. They release the number. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I mean, it's, it was a perfect situation for these guys to have because the customer's money is still safe. They get a better user interface and the um, the regional banking system is helped quite a bit, which I think is part of the reason that regulators didn't seem to have very many issues with with this happening. For now. For now. If the fintechs end up getting big enough where it becomes a, a thing, I'm sure they would want to weigh in a little bit more. Um, but as of now, that they are they're okay with it. But I'm ex- again, I'm excited about Squares Bank because we've also used Square Payroll at FinTech Today. And if we needed to take out a loan in the future or something, just like the interface that we have to go through, the types of products they're able to offer us, the way um, they could help us with cash flow management, etc. It's just going to be so much better now that they have this banking license. And Obviously, they saw enough of a benefit to the user and how it would help their business that it was worth going through the costly and time-consuming process that it is of getting an ILC. Well, I'm super amped to get a paycheck from you guys next time I do that. There you go. It'll um, come through Square Payroll and watch for it. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing, so now I'm like, oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, I mean, that can be an entirely different episode of just like, all the things that you have to go through as a small business, be like, who's the best for payroll? Who's the best for finding health insurance? Who's the best for workers mm-hmm. comp? Which bank should I use? Like all these different things. It's, I've now so been through this two or three times and it's never gotten better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why. Um, but yeah. Maybe that's now a, that Square has the ILC, it'll finally get better, Kogi. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, but anyways, we, we are at time already. That flew by, as it always does with my love. Time lovely. flies. <laughs> We're having fun, Jules. I know. I know. But anyways, I'll see you again next week. And um, like I said, this that's all for today's episode of Tux Time. But you can see me again on Monday with my co-founder, Ian Carr. And then, of course, again a week from today on Thursday with Koki Hasiotis of Lasagna Technology. Thank you, Koki. Thanks, Jules. Bye, everyone.